0: Good morning. Let me start by apologizing first for my voice. Hopefully I'll last through the sermon. For some reason, the last couple days, my voice has been disappearing on me, and uh, I've been trying to ration my words to see if I have saved enough for a sermon this morning. Um, I've had more tea with honey in it this morning than I, than I ever should, so hopefully I can make it without having to take a three-minute break this morning, but uh, we'll see how that all goes. So... This morning we started a brand new series. We're starting a three-week series on understanding God's perspective on our finances and on our, on our money. And we chose the word upside down because when we open up God's word to look at what he says about our money, our finances, our wealth, I think you're going to find, we always do find, that, that some of the expectations and, and standards that our world sets for our finances and our wealth, God turns them upside down turns them on their head. But I think we're also going to find that some of the assumptions that we make about what God says about our money, when you really read what he has to say, some of the assumptions we live with, he turns upside down as well. And so I think we're going to be, uh, we're going to be surprised at what God has to say to us about our finances and about our money. Whenever there's a sermon series on money, it always makes us as pastors a little bit nervous, probably makes you a little bit nervous sitting out there as well, so a good place to start is with prayer. So would you pray with me again? God, you know that uh, we don't like to talk about our finances publicly, and it makes us uncomfortable, and honestly, sometimes we choose not to want to hear what you have to say, because we like what we're doing, and we want to be in control. And so, Father, we realize that as we begin this this series on finances, that there's going to be some resistance, that Satan would love us to plug our ears and and to close our hearts to what you have to say. But, Father, would you please just open up our minds and open up our hearts to at least consider what you have to say, and not only to let it come into our ears, but let it maybe shape our lives. Give us the courage, Father, to allow you to transform even this part of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1.5 billion dollars was the Powerball jackpot that just got won, what, a week and a half, two weeks ago, right? Unless you were in another country, you knew what was going on. It was all over the news, right? It was kind of a, a craze there here in the U.S. for a little while, this, this growing jackpot that, that just became huger. You know, and what three three winners for the 1.5 billion? That means there were millions of losers as well, right? In fact, maybe you heard this on the news. There's a woman I think on the East Coast who invested all of her money, all, almost literally all of her money, to buy lottery tickets, sure that she's going to win the 1.5 billion. And of course, when she joined the millions who lost, she was left with nothing. And so she started her a GoFundMe page that you could help her recoup the money that she lost. for the, And she had gained, some people were actually helping her, right? It wasn't a great thing, this $1.5 billion. This past week, one of the winners came forward. I don't know if you saw that, but they came forward to claim their share. They had to get split three ways, and so they got the big cardboard check that said $528.8 million that they got. Of course, that's before 40% taxes, so the poor folk only got $317 million. feel kind of badly for them, don't you? You know, I, I, I haven't ever bought a lottery ticket. I still haven't ever bought one. But that didn't stop me well, a week and a half ago from sitting in my car while I was pumping gas at the gas station where they sell all the lottery tickets, right? And imagining what would happen if by some miracle I won without ever having bought a ticket. Wouldn't that be awesome? What would I do with $317 million? What would it be like to suddenly be rich? And the thought crossed my mind as I sat there, knowing I wasn't going to win. I already am rich. I may not be $317 million rich, but I am plenty rich. Because that's part of the problem that, that we have in our culture with our perspective on money, right? There's, there's always somebody that we can look at who has more than us, right? There's always somebody who has a bigger house than us or a newer car or a larger salary. There's always somebody who takes nicer vacations than us more often than us. And we compare ourselves with those people who are, who are a step above us. And we convince ourselves that that, that is what it means to be rich, Right? That's what it means to be rich. And if I was like them, then I would be rich. Well, that, that kind of thinking leaves only one rich person in the world. Right now it's Bill Gates, right? Everybody can look up to him. Nobody's rich except for Bill Gates. We look up and we want to live the good life, don't we? We want to live that good life that someone else is living. And, and that reaching up always leaves us wanting always leaves us, we would say, needing to have more. And it struck me, the truth is, I am already rich. And so are you. Right? We need to start this three-week series by, by turning our definition of rich upside down. We need to redefine what it means to be rich. And that will happen when we truly listen to to God's very practical and challenging truth that he gives us about money. Take out your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, page 1154, 1154, and the Bible's in front of you. God has this powerful way of of turning our perspective on money upside down, if we'll listen and if we'll learn. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 is... It's one of the key passages in Scripture that talks about finances and money. And it's one that, that we especially need to hear often because it speaks specifically. It's specifically addressed to those who are rich. It's written to people like you and people like me. And it gives us two clear instructions that will reshape both our understanding of what it means to be rich and how we will use the wealth that God has given us in our lives. So start at at verse 6 with me. 1 Timothy 6, starting at verse 6. We're just going to read that paragraph. We're going to read more later, so keep your Bibles open. It says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Hey, pause there for just a moment with me. The truth of of our reality, of our daily lives, is that you and I are daily being trained to want more. That's the desire that our society around us is constantly cultivating in our minds and in our hearts. The advertisers on TV, on the radio, and whatever streaming system you use, they're in the business of convincing you that there is something more that you need. There's an upgrade that you should get. There's something bigger out there that you should have. Just watch when Apple releases a new iPhone, whatever generation they're coming up to. Right, the rush to trade in a perfectly good phone for a new one with different bells and whistles—it's almost cult-like. Right, you gotta upgrade. You gotta get the best. You gotta have the newest and the greatest. We're constantly being told to upgrade your phone, your house, your TV, your car, your computer, your gaming system, your wardrobe, your shoes. Upgrade your vacation. We need to be aware of the messages that we are receiving. We need to recognize this culture of discontent that's being planted within us and that we're often thoughtlessly buying into and living into. Because into into this culture of discontent, God drops a theological bomb that turns everything upside down. Right? It's, it's right there, verses 6, 7, and 8 that we just read. Right? Here's what, into this culture of discontent, God says, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. You know, sometimes God's direction in his word is difficult to discern. It takes a lot of work to kind of figure out exactly what he's saying. This is not one of those passages. This is pretty clear. This is pretty straightforward. It's a clear call to contentment. Right? God commands us to separate ourselves from this culture of discontent that we live in. This culture of always wanting more, of thinking we need more. Right? This is an area of life God is saying, "We're my followers. We're my children." need to live counterculturally, culturally where, where we need to stand out from the crowd. In these verses, God resets our perspective on money. He turns the worldly truth that we've been taught on its head, upside down. He does that, first of all, by redefining what it means to be rich. Right? Again, very few of us, I think, would call ourselves rich because there's somebody who has more than us. A lot of people who have more than us. So we point the finger at them. They're rich, which means I'm not rich. Well, that's not the way it works in God's perspective. In God's perspective, he says, anything more than food and clothing means that you're rich. Anything beyond the basics of life is riches. Right? We, aren't, we all have these riches. We aren't sleeping on the streets. I doubt any of you slept in your car last night. We aren't scrounging for food in dumpsters. We aren't watching our children starve. We aren't drinking dirty water from a river or a puddle somewhere. And in this world, people are doing those things. That's not us. And when we start debating, you know, what those basics of life are, you know, what, what defines the basics, anything beyond the ba- When we start debating that, it proves that we're rich, right? When we start debating that, yeah, a new phone is a basic of life for me, or, or, or that spring break trip is a need, or that new car, I really, it's a need, not a want, then we know we bought into the world's definition of what it means to be rich and not God's definition. So the first thing God does is he changes our perspective on what it means to be rich. And we look at ourselves and all of us need to raise our hands and say, I'm rich. I am part of the, the rich crowd that God is talking to here. I am blessed beyond my basic needs. And then secondly, God then changes our perspective on money itself. Our culture tries to convince us that more is always better. Right? More money equals more blessing. Bigger is better. Newer is best. Right? There's, the culture teaches us, some churches teach this, that, that when God wants to bless you, what He does is He gives you more money. That's not what God says here. In fact, if anything, it's the opposite. God warns us here. That money is dangerous. And getting more of it means you have more danger in your life. Verse 9. Verse 9 warns us that our discontent, our, our continual desire for more and more of the stuff of this world is a temptation and a trap. And that temptation and that trap leads us to ruin and destruction and all kinds of grief. God's message to us is that, is that our wealth is dangerous. Yes, it can, it can be used very carefully for great good. Yes. But it can also bring horrible destruction if it's handled wrongly, if it's used for the wrong purposes. God tells us money's dangerous. And even though we hear that, I would guess many of, many of us would say, you know, I'll take that risk. I'll take my chances. Anyone who bought a Powerball ticket is willing to take that risk. I want more. I want more than I know what to do with. So we say to ourselves yes, money is a temptation. Yes, money is a trap. Yes, money may lead towards ruin, destruction, and grief, but I'll take it anyways. Bring it on. It's a risk worth taking. Is it? Is it really? You know, when God says, watch out, there's danger here about something, it seems like we really should be paying attention, don't you think? You know, when I was reading about last week's Powerball winners, the article I had pulled up had all sorts of stories about past winners and how their lives have changed, usually for the worse. Usually for the worse. In fact, they told the story about one gentleman who got it. He won the lottery. I don't know how many millions of dollars he won. And after he won the lottery, he realized, I don't want this. I don't want the grief that comes with the millions of dollars. I don't want the danger. And he tried, he tried to set up a trust fund so that he could give the ticket to the fund and have it give it all away, and nobody ever know who he was and found out he couldn't do it. He had to go claim it. And he experienced a lot of the grief that he wanted to avoid. He didn't want to take the risk. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he was listening to God's warning. Watch out. This is dangerous stuff. Now, I doubt that many, I doubt any of us here are going to win the lottery. I don't know if any of us here will fall into this unprecedented wealth and have it just showered upon us. And maybe that's actually God's grace in your life. Maybe not giving you all that money is God saying, I love you too much to give that to you. Because we all have enough danger as it is already. We are rich. And our current status is enough of a temptation. It's enough of a trap already. You and I need to constantly be learning how to handle the riches we have right now very, very carefully. And God starts that training right here with a clear call to contentment. He turns our definition of rich upside down. He turns our attitude about money upside down. And he reveals the path. You want to live the good life? You want to strive for the good life? Because the good life is going to be found through godliness and contentment. So following this clear call to contentment, following this, this warning from God about the dangers of money, God goes on to give this specific call to action to those of us who are rich, which is a call to action to every one of us. And you know, we could, we could assume that we can predict what God's call to action is going to be, right? If, if money is is so hazardous and so dangerous, then we're going to assume that, that God's recommendation to us is to get, get rid of it all. Give it all away. Get rid of it. Burn it. And that's what some throughout, throughout history have done. There are those who have taken a vow of poverty, right? And they've done their best to live only on the basics of life, right? The food, clothing, shelter, everything else I'm getting rid of. That's not what God asks us to do. As he seems to do so often... God surprises us again. He he doesn't command us to avoid money at all costs. He doesn't call us to become dirt poor. Instead, I want you to listen to God's action, to those, God's call to action to those of us who are rich. Coming in verses 17 through 19 of 1 Timothy 6. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant And the word command shows up twice. They're crystal clear, right? Verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, but in God. It's to a command to, to trust God. Like the psalmist in, in Psalm 121, we need to know where our help comes from, our help for this life, our help for eternity. It does not come from being able to provide for ourselves, from being able to handle whatever comes our way. That's arrogance. And our help does not come from having money in our bank account. That's misplaced trust. Right In our day-to-day lives, like the psalmist, we need to know that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. In case you missed it, it's pretty clear. Where does your trust? Your trust is in the Lord the Lord who provides all these things, the Lord who guides you, the Lord who protects you, the Lord who's watching over you. It's all a gift from God. We need to trust him. The riches that we do have should move us towards humility and gratitude to God, rather towards arrogance. Who am I that God has chosen to be so generous with me? Who am I that he has chosen to watch out for me so well? Who am I? If our money and what we can do with our money is a source of pride for us, watch out. We've fallen into the trap that Satan has set. The trap that makes us forget about God. That makes us forget where to put our trust. That makes us forget where our help comes from. So, those of us who are rich must first of all put our trust in God. Then, the second command the second command for us is that we must then do good. He says we must be rich in good deeds. Right? We don't need to get rid of all our money. In fact, don't miss the end of verse 17 tucked away in the middle there. It makes it clear that God has been generous to us for our enjoyment. It says at the end of 17, right? God wants us to enjoy what he's given to us. He wants us to find joy in his generosity to us, but he knows that the true joy that we're looking for will come when we use what he's given us to bless others. When we're generous to others, just as he has been generous to us. When we're willing to share with others, just as God has shared with us. That's when we'll experience true joy, when we begin to treat the people around us the way that God has treated us. And that's just the opposite of what the society is telling us and what many, if not all of us, believe and how we live our lives. We live believing that true joy is found from getting more stuff. Right? We look for happiness in the next car, the next trip, the next shopping spree, the next toy. And we consistently miss out on the joy that God intends. Because the more we spend on ourselves the less true joy and fulfillment we find. God knows that true joy is found in the next gift that's given. It's found in the next ministry that's funded. It's found in the next need that's met. True joy is found in the next life that's changed through our generosity by God. That's the privilege that God has given to us because he's been so generous with us. So don't miss it. Don't miss the joy that God intends for us. Don't miss God's upside-down perspective on our money. Because when you and I walk out of this room this morning, we're going to step right back into a culture that is going to try to drown you with discontent and selfishness. And if you and I don't take intentional steps to fight against discontent, to fight against that selfishness, we will succumb. We will drown. There's just so much of that message pouring down into our lives. We will forfeit the joy that God intended for us for a fleeting and temporary happiness that the world has to offer. We may even, as we're warned, wander from the faith. That's how powerful this culture of discontent and selfishness is. God wants you to live a truly good life. A life that is truly the life that he designed for you and for me. And he knows that we will be truly rich when we are truly content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Our money is the greatest threat that we face. It's also a great opportunity. So, what intentional step are you going to take to cultivate a countercultural life, a life of humility and generosity when it comes to your finances? What are you going to do? Maybe that intentional step today is simply over lunch to have a conversation with your spouse or with your children and to evaluate your contentment level in your life. Ask yourself, how content am I? Ask each other. (laughs) That conversation might be enough of an intentional step to change your life. Maybe your intentional step is going to be to do a financial inventory of where you're investing your money. What percentage of your money are you investing in your own kingdom? And which percentage are you investing in God's kingdom? Are you tithing? Should you be? Is there a ministry or a missionary maybe that God has laid on your heart to support but you said, no, I don't think I can? God asked you to, maybe you should. To so do that financial inventory. Talk about it together. Maybe your intentional step is to simply try and remember the last time that you felt the blessing that comes from being rich in good deeds. When's the last time that you felt the overwhelming joy of giving yourself away for someone else? If you can't remember something right off the top of your head, then it's probably been too long since you've invested in that way maybe your intentional step is to make a commitment to cultivate contentment somehow in your own heart in your own life maybe god's going to make it clear to you and say you know what to practice and learn contentment i want you to give this up whatever it is give it up for a week can you do it And, and maybe after a week he'll say you did a week how about a month And after a month, maybe you'll say, you did it for a month, how about a year? And maybe you'll break yourself of that need to always want more and have more. And you'll learn to be content. I don't know what it is for you, but if you don't decide on some intentional step, you'll drown in a culture of discontent. God has made us rich so that we might become more like him rich in good deeds. We won't be rich in good deeds until we learn to be content because godliness with contentment, that is great gain. So are we going to choose to be satisfied, striving for the good life promised by this world which will always end in disappointment? Or are we going to strive for the truly good life that God promised? Trust God and do good. Why not take that first step right now? Would you pray with me? God, you know how much we love to trust ourselves. We want to be self sufficient, we want to be secure. And our money so often takes front stage in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds because that's where we find our security. That's where we find our stability. That's where we put our trust. Father, forgive us when we turn money into our God and our idol. Help us to realize, Father, that our trust must be placed in you. That it's you who provides, it's you who cares for us. And thank you, Father, for showing us the path to true contentment. The path to true joy. Give us the courage, each one of us, young and old, to take some first step today. Whatever that first step might be towards a life of contentment in you. Don't let us drown, Father, in this culture of discontent. But may we take that first step to becoming more like you. You, Father, who have been so generous with us. You who find great joy in blessing your children. May we find great joy now in blessing others in your name. Thank you for giving us the ability to do that. May we now choose to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us, please? We're going to sing our closing song. We're going to sing the new doxology